The Story in Your Head, Episode 4, Creating Your Way of Being. Welcome to the podcast, The Story in Your Head, where we explore how the stories in your head can influence your actions and the actions of others. This is Michelle Masago. And this is Ron Macklin. Great. And today we're going to talk about crafting your way of being. A simple little phrase, but it's pretty powerful in its outcome. So Ron, how would you start talking about crafting your way of being? The first place I start is to first acknowledge that I'm already doing it. I'm already crafting my way of being. Sometimes we have a story in our head that says, you know, I am this kind of person or I do this or this is who I am or this is where I, what, what I'll be in the future. Like, because it's, we think it's like something we are. And what we've forgotten is that a long time ago, sometimes weeks ago, sometimes decades ago, something happened in our lives. Somebody said something, gossip got back to you, you did something and some results happened and it could be great, it could be bad. And then we made up a story in our head that this is the way we are. And over time, we forget that we made that up. We just think we are that. And when we have that story that we are that way, then we can notice ourselves with that filter. We say, like, I'm slow. I'm fast. I'm dumb. I'm smart. I'm whatever that is, right? And then you notice yourself, and because you have that story in your head, you can notice it and you can ground it and say, yep, that's me. Yep, that's me. Yep, that's me. Then we don't have any memory of we made that up. That we created that. Because when we're born, we don't come into this world as saying, like, hey, you know, this, 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 oh, what a, we got a little doctor here. Oh, no, we have a little painter. Oh, no, we have a, we have a funny person. No, we have a sad person, right? All that. No, nothing. When they're babies, we're completely open. And then over time, we make up those spaces. Yeah. So thanks. How does that affect or how has it affected your life? Like, how did you realize you had these stories and what did you do? Well, I wish I had realized I had those stories when I was like in, in junior high or high school when all that was happening and uh, creating all this stuff. But it was like probably somewhere around in my thirties when I, I, I began to notice that I could change a story. And I thought that was impossible. I thought I was a way that I was. I was an introvert. I was shy. I was good with math. I was a thinker, right? But I was not, was, I was terrible at English. Like that was like a story I had. And then what I noticed is all those things that I had those stories around, I noticed that if I really worked at them and practiced in them, I could change that story. And that's when I began to wonder, where did I get that story in the first place? What happened there? Right? And then, as I began to work on some different stories, like one was, I don't speak in a room. I don't talk out loud. I mean, I, I'm, I'm the quiet, shy guy in the corner. And I still have a bias to be that because I'm really good at it. I mean, like I'm comfortable. I'm good at it. I could sit in the back of the room and I'm just fine and dandy, right? And I noticed that I could begin to change that story. And then I began to wonder, why do I have that story? Where did it come from? And can I change it? Yeah. So what you triggered for me was that introvert one. I hold that one pretty dear myself. And I like to hold on to that. And I thought, like, where did I get that? And for any of you that have been in business, right, there's all these 
personality profiles you can take. There's a bazillion of them. And they always came, for me, came back pegged on the introvert side, right? All the way left or right, depending which way you want to go. But I was like right there at the edge. And it's like, oh. And what I realized, it took me a while to realize this, is that was my excuse. Well, I'm an introvert. So I don't have to speak up first in a meeting, mm -hmm. right? I'm an introvert. So I don't have to all these other things because it's a, a flaw or it's a something. And it was almost like an excuse for me not to do certain things until I started to reinvent that story. But I'm still working on that one. So I'm just curious for you, how, how is it affected, right? When you have that story, number one, how do you notice it? And number two, how do you shift that? The best way I, for myself, how to notice the story is to pay attention to your body. Different people work different ways, I've, I've noticed. For me, if there's a space in there, I can begin to feel something in my thighs. Like I can feel like my body's tensioning up, right? And then I can feel something in my stomach, right? And occasionally, I'll feel like my my hands, like I need to I need to rub my hands. Like I, I can just feel that need to do that, right? Or or do this. So you can see it like that. And I go, ooh, there's something going on with me, right? There's something that I have a story about that's showing up. It's like, whoa, what is going on with me? There's a story here. I love the body sensation because a lot of times we just go, oh, that's me being me, but that's also me in that story. And when I can notice that I'm in the story, then I have an opportunity to create a new one. What shows up for you? Yeah. So part of it, let's stay with the introvert for a few minutes. I'm really comfortable with it. So maybe I don't want to change that story, right? Because it's like, I'm with you, right? I love the middle row. I am not a front row person, right? I'm really middle to the side, preferred right versus left, right? And that's kind of where I sat. But then I, I was realizing I was missing out on some opportunities, right? Somebody would say something, it's like, I had that idea too, but nobody ever knew it. So I started seeing some impact to my lovely sitting in the back row and not being noticed is exactly what happened. And I was like, I didn't, didn't want to be there anymore because I felt I had something to say that was important and people were missing it. But it still took a while for me to think, and I still today, right, working, crafting that way of being to get past that introvert piece. And it wasn't a skill I had at the time to consciously recraft my being where now it is. So that's what's showing up for me is that struggle, I guess, mm -hmm. that I still continue to work today. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. How about you? Any stories for you where something, some way of being um, showed up and helped you to notice and make that shift for you or had an impact? I think the first place that I vividly remember it was because I was always the, well, the way I described myself was short and overweight in like elementary school and everything else. And I was not the popular person in the room. And when we got to playing sports, the popular kids were in charge, right? Cause like they were used to being out in front. They were used to doing all that kinds of stuff. Right. And what I noticed was I was fine following them until we didn't win. Right. And the moment that the team wouldn't win, I was not okay with just being the follower in a team that was going to lose. And it was somewhere around my freshman ninth grade year, freshman year, when I began to go like, look, this is not going to work for me. I'm, I'm not going to go through my life being a loser, right? 
And I mean a loser, not like a loser, like, oh, you're a loser. I mean, like, I lose games, all of them. I had a story that I was about winning games. And it was in my freshman year of high school when I began to step forward in not as a captain of the team, but as on the field in that space, putting that scared self aside, putting that I'm the guy who follows aside and stepping forward and leading the team on the field in the competition, in the space. And at that year, as a team, we went from, we lost pretty much all of our games to where we went to the sophomore year, junior year, and a senior year. We won, we only lost one or two games a year. And we became a space where I went on and used that for football in junior college and on and uh, a big eight, all the way through where I began to go, I'm not going to let us lose. I'm not going to sit there in that space. Well, that required me to create a different being for me, a different way of being, to be the leader, not to be the captain, different. Captain is more of a figurehead in that space, but the leader on the team to be on the field when things are going not where you want them to go, but to hold the team together. And it was a shift for me to be able to start to create that. What I noticed was when I got into business, which I really loved because I loved playing a game of football and wrestling and other sports because it was a game, it was a competition, right? And then when I stopped those and finished up my college education in the last two years, I didn't play. And it was like school was terrible. I hated it. Like there was no, there was no, there was no competition for me. And then when I got into business, I could see the game. And I could see a place for me to be playing the same game and to do the same things I did when I was playing in, you know, in football, to lead others. And to lead others, that means I created myself as a leader. Not as the figure out in front, but as the leader, the one who could lead the organization to something new and new accomplishments. Yeah, thank you. I'm trying to think of the story that sort of prompted me out of truly my introvert and realized I had to step forward. And so, I, like I said, I, I recognized I was comfortable in that role of introvert. Then I, I was asked, I worked for a large pharmaceutical company, and they asked me to help them. We had purchased a Japanese pharmaceutical company that we were then going to integrate. So it was the Tokyo Stock Exchange. We had to delist it and then integrate it as a multinational. It's just a subsidiary of a multinational company. And they asked if I could go over there. And the role I had was chief information officer, CIO. So I'm sitting there as the CIO of a $2 billion Japanese pharmaceutical company sitting around a table with headphones on because you have to do the translations. And I'm like, holy crap, how the hell did I get here? What do I do now? I'm the head of the whole technology group sitting around a table. You know, I think there was one other American, only female, and I had to make a choice, right? I'm here and I had an obligation. And I really liked the staff that was there. So I had to step up and step forward. And I remember the first meeting didn't go so well. And the chief operating officer just looked at me and just said something that I'll never forget. And he's like, you belong here. And I'm like, so don't worry. And I'm like, I do belong. I'm okay. I can sit at this table and I can, I can make this work. And I had to get out of that introvert and step forward. And we were successful. We integrated the company. It took 18 months. I found my replacement. Didn't travel back and forth to Japan so much. But it had to take that moment of being in that spot where I had to choose, right? 
and the obligation to take care of the staff and other people and, and what a gift the company had given me to do this role to say, no, I have a choice to create myself differently. I am the CIO of this $2 billion pharmaceutical company and I can do this role and introvert is not even in the picture. So that's the story that kind of worked for me when I thought about what was that one that sort of punched me out into the front row seat because I had no choice. That's the only seat available and it was okay. So we'll come back to that. What the, the CFO or COO? The chief operating officer. So the chief operating officer said something to you and then what happened? Like he said something, but what happened? So first of all, it was like somebody hit me because first I was like, why would he say that? Right. What did he notice? And what hit me was I was just scared, but I was scared in my little shell. And I never realized that I couldn't hide in my little shell and people would see something different than what I felt and what I was. So I was like, holy crap. You know, he saw something. He saw that I was scared. He saw that I maybe didn't feel like I belonged there. That's what I felt. And I, I was really surprised how aware he was, how much he saw it, and that I needed to make a shift. And then the second piece was, okay, well, he can see that I needed to make a choice. I really wanted to be there. I really wanted to be the CIO of that company. I loved working in Japan. I loved the group that was in there. I loved being part of a team that was actually running a $2 billion pharmaceutical company. How cool is that? And so right there, I had to make a choice. And I chose to be the CIO of that company and moved forward from there. And I'm really grateful that he said that to me and had the courage to say that to me. Thank you, Michelle. What I heard, I want to, I want to like share that back with you. What I heard was there was a perturbation from the outside. And then you created who you're going to be. You made a conscious choice to say, this is who I am. This is who I'm going to be. From that point forward in the conversations, did you have to recreate that or was it ready at hand all the time? It was ready at hand. I had to remind myself once in a while, but the story was there. And the other thing I'd say when he said, you belong here, there was a hell of a conversation going on, but it wasn't out loud. So I have no idea how much time it took from him saying that to me and me responding back. It could have been 30 seconds. It could have been 20 minutes because it was a great conversation with myself. But I was really comfortable once I made that choice. And I acted totally different in the role, right? I, I had to work with the staff. We were doing all sorts of things in HR and quite few things needed to change from a Japanese mechanism of how they do business to a multinational and in a way that with dignity and respect of the employees. So it was probably one of the best roles I had when I was at the company. Have you tried to share this with somebody? Like how you did, like the mechanics of what you just talked about with somebody, how did you share it? No, and, and thank you for doing that. When I share it, I usually just say, hey, you know, I had this role, it was great, you know, CIO for a pharmaceutical company. But what I haven't shared till now is how scary that was right? Being plopped into this role. And I remember, like I said, sitting at that chair, looking around to say, oh my God, they're all so much older than I am. They've been in this role for a long time. Here I am, this person that they sent over from the US to help from corporate. And I didn't tell that part of the story, but on reflection, 
that's the part that can make a difference, right? Is what it takes to overcome some things and some roles that you may be put in where you have that doubt or not sure. Thank you, Michelle. What shows up for me is like some of the mechanics. First is to notice your existing way of being. If you don't notice that it's in a way of being, we can get lost in, it's just who I am. Like, oh, that's who I am. Like I was born this way and I was destined to be this way. No, we created all that stuff to get to that point. Right. The second one is to notice we're all scared and there's nothing wrong with being scared, but it can disable us. Right. And then the third one is who do I want to be? Who do I want to create myself to be in the world? And when you can notice that you have a way of being, Notice that our biases towards fear and our fear builds lots of great shields. We may talk about that a little later. And then you say, if I could create the perfect me the way I would just love to be, who would I be? And the funny thing is, that's really who you are. That's who you want to be, not who you drifted into, but who you choose to be. Yeah, thank you, Ron. It was also one of those situations I would have liked it to happen sooner in my life and not require a major move to another country, which was really far away. I don't know if the jet lag helped me notice some things, maybe, but it was a life-changing and career-changing experience for me. And it took a person to say something, right, to help do that. So the question I have for you is, like I said, life-changing for me, and I'm so grateful to that person, and still connect with him today and stay in touch. How do you notice that in somebody? And what can you do to help them, right? What a great gift to give somebody to help notice that maybe there needs to be a shift in how they create their way of being. First, I'll, I'll share my own story. I was actually working, I was probably 20, 26, somewhere around 26 years of age, working up in Coal Strip, Montana, which is way out in the middle of nowhere. And they had a problem. I was working on Unit 4 of a power plant, and they had a problem on Unit 3. And it's funny because Dan Gatch, who's a plant manager, he'd come knock on my trailer door. We had Connie and I lived in an RV for about a year and a half, and he'd come knock on our door. And he, he told me later, every time he comes to the door, all I could see was, you know, oh, this is going to cost me five thousand dollars, right? Knock on, just knock on the door is five thousand, which I always laughed. And he came into Unit Three and said, "Hey, we got a problem with Unit Three. Could could you come in and help us?" And, you know, I'm 26. I'm scared. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Right? I want to go. Sure, I'll come in. And on the way to the conference room with all their executives and everything else in the space, you know, I'm, I'm freaking out. And I go, you know, there may be people who are better experts at this than I am. And he just turns and looks at me and goes, you're the perfect expert. Thanks for being here. And I just realized I can make this work. And it was that perturbation in somebody else. Now, I think your question was, what did Dan see or what did this other person see in us and what did they see about tossing their own line to us about who we were? And this opens up a, a, a really great space because we can do that for others, right? So the first thing I would start with is everybody's afraid. I don't care how confident they look. I don't care how together they may occur to others. Those are just their shields, and we have them too that we use to protect ourselves. So when you notice that people are afraid and you can hold that story, right? And you see them being quiet or you see them saying a lot so that that's their shield. 
you can notice that these are all the things they're doing to avoid like being authentic, to being open, and to be in that space. The biggest question that I ask myself is, what line could I toss that shows them that I believe in them? Throughout my life, there have been some key people who have said, I believe in you. Changed my life. Now, I want to be clear that in this space, they didn't change my life. I changed my life. They created the space for me to notice me in a way that I could change my life. That's a huge responsibility to give to somebody else, right? But it's also a pretty big responsibility to be in a space where you create the space for somebody else to change their own life. And that is where we talk about creating who others are for you. On the next episode of the Stories in Your Head podcast, we will really dig into discussing this topic of creating who others are for you. This is Ron Macklin. And this is Michelle Masago. And you've just finished the episode, Creating Your Way of Being. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast. Thanks. Have fun. See you soon. Mm -hmm.